0: All right, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr. You're listening to episode 120 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I dig into the most interesting stories in skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing, and other related endeavors. Thanks for tuning into this one. Hope you enjoy it. I'm back with my first skateboarding guest for a while. I mean, it's probably, it's got to be four months, I think, before this. It was Bryce. Yeah. So anyway, here we are, the great Mike Manzori. Much loved skater from the UK who's quietly had one of the most creatively influential careers in British skateboarding. As such, he's got a brilliant perspective on the whole thing and we covered it all during this conversation. Now, I've been wanting to chat to Mike for years. We almost got off the ground during my California trip last year, but we ended up missing each other by a couple of days. But we kept chatting when lockdown kicked in and it became apparent that I was about to enter this brave new zoom era of conversations might was top of the list so here we are now i'm going to leave it there for the intro because it's a nice long one this and we do cover a lot of ground but i'll be back at the end for the usual housekeeping corner in the meantime here's me and mike manzori auteur enjoy
1: I've been listening to some of them. The episodes are great. You know, I love what you guys Oh, doing, thanks. So Which ones did you but, check out? Yeah. Stoked to be a part of it. Um, I was listening to just the other day. Um, what's his name? Um, well, Sam McGuire is a good friend. Of, I was kind of listening to the ones of the people that I knew more just because I find, I find that more, more interesting, you know? Um, and uh, TLB one was kind of one of my favorite ones because obviously my era and everything like that, you know?
0: Well, I, I think I mentioned that when I put a, a shout out for questions, it's quite quite you know it's obviously a big strain of early 90s skate
1: nostalgia you know we're all getting old <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and everyone's got time on their hands right now to dig it up and put it out there again so yeah i been this last month has yeah definitely,
0: definitely. so there's a, there's a lot of people like asking about rad and you know asking about all those years and all that so yeah but yeah just just a general catch-up really you know um Just find out, you know, it's really. I think people really obviously your transition from skateboarder to filmer and how that's gone. I think people always find that really interesting, especially because I was reading that thing. Did you do that with Ben, that um, Slam City interview a couple of years ago, maybe about sound and vision? And I I, like, I quite, it was really, and I think I watched your Berwick's thing as well, where you maybe you were talking about it. And I, I found it really interesting when you were chatting about the fact that the first filming that you did essentially came about the fact that you were at college and you had access to like those old school editing machines and you know you could borrow cameras and and kind of you know literally started from that because you were all and, and that's what me and my mates did as well you know when we were that age it was like who's got a camera you know what can you what can you get hold of
1: yeah it was about accessibility wasn't it like at that point there was um I mean obviously going to college and having an edit suite at your disposal was a huge leap for me but then just you know around that time was when people started actually having a camcorder in the house whereas five ten years before that was really rare you know and they started to get cheaper and everyone started knowing a a friend of a friend who at least had one you could borrow from you know so that's yeah uh... there was
0: always somebody who was like you know sort of a bit more bit more amped on it ready to kind of work it out and learn it yeah so that, that sound and vision was that the first film that you made
1: um no well first sort of First, yeah, well, right before that, um, we did a sort of project for Matt Fowler's art, uh, Art, uh, how do you say, um, his final exam, his final presentation. Um, his his uh, d- degree was basically he was going to put put together a skate brand and this fictitious brand where Mark Channer, myself, and him were the team riders. The brand was called Jello. <laughs> and um, so he Produced, you know, all the graphics and all the ads and you know, everything that you would produce for a brand. That was his uh, final presentation, and um, I happened to have a camcorder at the time sent over from Santa Cruz because they wanted me to get footage of myself. So they, because I was sponsored by them at the time, so uh, this camera was in my possession. He was doing that, and just it just one thing led to another. So we went out one weekend and we shot a video for that project, and it was called Bubblegum Weekend. Uh, i believe i think yeah bubblegum weekend and the jello video i guess you'd say but it was for a brand that didn't exist yeah. and um yeah so that was the first video i made with mark channa and uh it was weird because it was for matt's project, but we kind of just like helped. Yeah, you know, we all did skate together on it but i do remember it was more me and mark made the video because mark was the one who actually had access to the media um, center because he was doing media studies me and matt were doing fine art and graphics and stuff like that so it's all this stuff sort of overlapped, and so we just kind of helped him out on his project in order just to make a skate video for fun. So that was the first one. And um, so how old? How old? How old were you then? That would have been ninety-two around then. So whatever age I would have been around then, um, young, like 17, 18, something like that. But um, the yeah, we were going to college out in Amersham and. I think Mark was starting to get flowed from New Deal UK and, you know, we'd always be down at Harrow and We showed the video in the skate shop and I think Ray and Gary were just like, oh sick You guys made a video make us some copies and we'll sell it And so I think we might have sold maybe like eight copies or something like that around the UK. I don't know It's definitely a very underground skate video. Um, I barely have a copy that I, I lost and then I found one um so I don't even know how to play right now because I don't have a the power format VHS uh, that's currently working. But um, yeah, that was the first video, and it got me sparked because that was the first time we had access to that editing suite that I mentioned. So, um, and was that was that one of the classic like you know two
0: VHS kind of setup? Yeah, to, you know yeah. with it-
1: But it was it was um it was fairly advanced in that you could program the in and out points and things like that. You know like it was. It was you didn't you didn't have to sync the the cuts with your, your your two fingers like hitting the play and play and record at the same time. It was like you could line up the way you wanted things to start it would pre-roll play and like do a nice smooth edit and it, you could even do things like insert edits and stuff like that but it was linear tape to tape it wasn't like uh, going on to, through a computer where you could do whatever you want as many times as you want. you had to sort of start at the beginning and work your way through it in chronological order yeah for the most part so. It was a it was a good good fundamental learning. <laughs> so when did you start skateboarding? Early, eight mid-80s, mid I'd say around 84, 85, somewhere around then. I was, you know, a little kid into BMXing, really into BMXing at the time, and um, spent all my money on bikes, trying to get it to look like a real bike. I just had this budget bike called a Piranha with these really heavy mag wheels, and I tried to, like, decorate it like it was a pro GT or something like that, and... I remember going to a sports shop in Ealing Broadway that we heard had skateboards and BMX Action Bike, the predecessor to Rad Magazine, started to sh- show a few skate photos in yeah, there. Yeah,
0: Tim Tim sort of covered that, didn't he, in his interview, like that sort of transition exactly. when, when it kind of started to change. W- Wig actually mentioned that when that interview with Tim came out, that there was quite a few people in the BMX contingent who were a bit, like, miffed about that, the fact that it, it kind of... Yeah, that it sort of checked, you know, that, that Tim was quite scathing a little bit about, about that. It was perceived, which I thought was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, that is interesting because I was just a tiny kid who had no clue about any of that side of stuff. I just saw people on the same half pipe doing similar stuff. Actually, to be honest, it really blew my mind because obviously back then you're just looking at still photo, trying to make sense of it. And I'd seen some BMXing and videos and on TV and stuff. So you, and you kind of got the idea of how they flew in the air on a half pipe. But the first skate photos I remember seeing was stuff like inverts on a vert ramp. And I just couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, there's this guy upside down on one hand on the very edge of the ramp. Like it just didn't make any sense to me. a little kid, I'm 10 years old, you know? So kind of like fascinated me. And so long story short, I went into the skate uh, sports shop that had some Veriflex boards and we were checking them out. And I came out and my BMX had got stolen. And so I was like, ah, oh, I can't afford another bike. It took me years to patch that thing <laughs> together, and uh, so I bought a skateboard instead. It was only forty quid as opposed to like hundred and forty for a bike or whatever a bike would cost. So uh, um, yeah, patched together a board, and that was how it all started. So
0: thanks to BMX. Yeah, right. And it's quite a common thread, isn't it, that for that for that era? So because because you, you had those, you know, I mean, everyone talks about, this, but you had basically like ET and then Back to the Future, like these two huge kind of yep. know, cultural things that really put them on the map didn't they that you know it's amazing how how common that kind of little thread is when you talk to people of our generation about how they you know first got aware of it and got into it really
1: yeah now we were all i mean that's the other thing as well there was you know it wasn't a million channels as there are now and we were all watching the same couple of tv shows or the same five major movies that came out every year now there's a plethora of choices so everyone was kind of on the same page so if you're that age group and you saw the same stuff we all were just wow you know this is yeah i mean it hit me really good anyway so
0: (laughs) yeah you do have the same cultural reference points really don't you um be interesting to see how that is now for kids growing up
1: i feel like it's more fragmented you know there's just so much of of everything you know that so people i don't know back then you kind of it was fairly easy to get your head around i feel like now Maybe it's just showing my age, but I was just like, how the hell do the kids keep up? You know, they got so much going on, you know, it's, it's dizzy, you know, so. Definitely. So when you first started
0: getting serious about skateboarding, who who were you skating with back then?
1: Well, I grew up in West London in Ealing. And so the first little crew was uh, based around the skate shop Buddies. It was, uh, you know, just this pretty, pretty rad skate shop for back then. We didn't really have too many in London. There was Slam City, M Zone surrey skates and buddies as far as i was aware and that was right on our doorstep so that cultivated quite a good little scene um some skaters that came out of there that people heard of maybe is stuff like uh, johnny wilson he was getting coverage at some point in rad magazine and uh a lot of skaters would come through there um we with the shop we had like ramps built from local skaters and stuff like that um that guy Jason K JK who is Jamaica, yeah, yeah. he was actually actually one of our little crew back then he was a little bit older in the scene i remember really yeah i remember seeing him he would be at the skate shop all the time with us and uh i remember back then you know how he, he's known for wearing those big fuzzy hats right now yeah i i even remember back then distinctly him wearing a pretty similar looking hat as a you know young kid he was probably like 16 17 i was maybe 12 13 and he was like busting dance moves in front of the full length mirror, you know, for trying on clothes and kind of like seeing, basically performing and literally telling us like, you watch kids one day, I'm going to be famous. Like he called it at that age and we wow. were just like, yeah, shut up, shut up, Jay, you know, like whatever, you know, like, and yeah, yeah. next thing you know, uh, yeah, he, he was pretty famous. He's doing pretty, done pretty good for himself.
0: Yeah, he did. All right. Yeah. I mean, he had the gazelle swag, didn't he going on? So, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe that's yeah. where it came from, a bit of that.
1: Um, and he was a good skater. Is, well, yeah,
0: because he, cause he, cause he had, because um, a good, uh, this is, I can't believe I ended up talking about Jumaquai. Uh like a few, few mates of mine were in his, uh, his first video, because it, oh, yeah. it was a snowboard video, and uh, a mate, yeah. mate of mine directed it. So it kind of makes sense, because, you know, he definitely could skate a bit, couldn't he, as well? Like there's some shots of him in some of the films, in the videos and stuff, So so there you go.
1: That was the jump ramp era, and I remember, you know, he like back then he would be doing like 360s off the jump ramp when we were like, wow, that was like, that was the shit back then, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he was good. Like, he was as good as it got, as yeah, as far as I've seen. Um, and there was another dude, John Shabazniff. Those guys did get a little bit of coverage in the magazines, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, they just kind of, you know, they kind of got into doing other stuff really quickly. They didn't pursue it that far, but... Um, yeah, Johnny Wilson, um, he was kind of like my, he lived really close to me, he was my buddy and we skate all the time together and, um, yeah, I don't know, my memory fades, it's, it's only when I start seeing like old footage and magazines that it all starts coming back, I'm like, oh yeah, and this guy in that place, you know, it's like, it's been so long.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the other day, like, it is, fuck, it's 30 years ago <laughs> since, I mean, how old are you? I think we're kind of similar ages, right? Maybe yeah, you're a I'm forty.
1: Older. Yeah, forty-seven, I think, this year. I, I, yeah, seventy-four. I was born, so start, yeah, after forty, you start losing count. You forget, it, don't carrying, you? But yeah, yeah. I'm yeah.
0: forty-four yeah. this year, and I'm always like, am I? Forty? Yeah, forty-three, forty-four. But yeah, I was thinking yeah, yeah. today because I got I started skating in 1990. And I was the other day I was a bit like, yeah, wow, it's th- thirty years ago. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's so no wonder We can't really remember.
1: <laughs> well, there's a lot of details. But yeah, going back to the original question. Sorry. Um. So that was where I first started skating. Then you know the london scene i was funny my friend andy just sent me some really old footage of Spitalfields. i oh, really see all the skate just like it was just a camera rolling just shaky camera like panning around just you know just capturing everything that's going on and it really reminded me i was it's funny it came through just the other day he sent it and i was tripping on it because it was curtis mccann johnny wilson was there aaron bleasdale like all these like really amazing skaters that i was like lucky enough to be able to skate with back then that I don't know. Just seeing this old footage, they all like really stood out. You know, it was it was kind of interesting to see because that was back when tricks were pretty flippy and you know it was a lot of ninety nine percent bails. You know, everyone was just trying stuff and like those guys, Winston, he was cruising around killing it and like yeah, it was just a yeah, it was just a nice reminder of like you know just how good good the skaters were back then. You know, and how sick it was to be around those kind of guys. You know, like it was good scene.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like romanticized quite a lot of that scene now, isn't it? Because it was, it was a real particular era, like of, of yeah. British skateboarding. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Are you still in touch with Curtis? Because he, he's one of those kind of like, you know, whatever happened what to stories. Yeah, really, isn't I, he, I don't keep
1: bit. in touch with him. I've, se- I've seen him around a few times over the years when I'm back in London and stuff. And uh, it's always amazing to see him. But yeah, he kind of. Split off and did his own thing a long time ago. So you know, I check in and try and yes, you know, through friends and see check in and make sure he's doing all right. But um, yeah, he um, yeah, he's a legendary skater. I mean, he was so influential on me and everyone. I think back then he was leaps and bounds ahead of everyone. It's one of those things where you know you try and explain. I remember when I was young and people would be like talking about people from their era, and you're a little kid and you're like, I don't care. He's Tony Alva, who, whatever, you know, like that. <laughs> You know, it doesn't it doesn't resonate with you, but what I'm what I'm trying to convey about someone like Curtis, is like, you, if you were there and you saw it, like the magic was so, there was so much magic there. It was it was unbelievable. Like, the dude would just play skateboarding. You know, like tricks were just like fun to play around with, like new stuff that you know he or no one was doing sometimes. You know, and I remember he'd tell me he'd actually there's really cl- classic. I remember he'd say he'd go to sleep, and before he went to bed, he'd think about tricks and play it through his mind to the point where he would like fall into a dream of it and basically like he said he would like try and learn his trick go through it mentally so that when it came time to doing it the next day it was just like he'd already gone through the motions and he would just like that that was his way of explaining how things weren't so hard for him and i was just like maybe 14 at the time you know like he was a pretty deep deep thinker back then you know like he was yeah, and uh, yeah, he was p- phenomenal guy, yeah. Like, really nice guy too, really nice, sweetheart guy, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, he th- that was a couple of... There's the guys that run that same old magazine. That was um, that was one of the questions. It was like, ask him how, ask him how good Curtis was. Because, you know, he is like that legendary figure that you say, and it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, even for you lot, he was that far ahead really
1: oh yeah i mean it was it was just like seeing tom penny for the first time where you're just like what the hell's going on here like this is so different and so like you know, you know he, he was that but before you know like i remember hearing stories even after 10 years after when he'd gone to the states and he was only there for a couple of months maybe and He had such an impact, you know. He really stood out to everyone. It wasn't just that our hometown hero. It was like you know, he resonated everywhere he went. And I think that was part of the reason why he. I I don't want to speak for him, but I did hear that that was a lot of the reason why he got turned off by skateboarding was after this trip to the states. He saw a lot of, the ins and outs of the industry, and maybe thought it wasn't quite quite as much fun as he thought it was, and uh, started to get into other stuff. He went to school and pursued other things, you know. So. We lost a good skater in that one but you know he's a he's a good dude still so you got everyone's well, what, got to do, choose choose their own path I guess but
0: yeah and what what a what a legend you know what a legendary influence like even the fact oh, that yeah. again you know we're still sort of talking about it but you you were both on pal right because you were you were both in that celebrity tropical fish film is that right
1: That's right yeah um I uh I got on Powell through Frank Messman, who was setting up the European team. He came to England for some contests, and you know, said he was gonna send me some boards and stuff. And I was riding for M Zone at the time, the skate shop in London, which had Curtis, Jason Lunn, and Paul Wright, and myself on the team. So it was, uh, it was a pretty sick team for back then. All those guys were like people I really looked up to, and uh, I remember getting on Powell and just thinking, "This is a bit weird." Like. You, you gotta look at this kid Curtis like if you think I'm alright you gotta focus on this guy you know so I told that guy Frank Messman like hey there's like there's this kid in England you've got to send him boards and so uh, yeah I think they got him on some trips and he was in for a little while so and then he uh, went over to Underworld Element I believe it was the next step after that but yeah it was awesome getting him on pal, because you know, he was you just wanted everyone to see the magic you know it was it was epic like he'd, he'd go to those Euro contests with us and just yeah, he only did a few, but I just remember people just being like, "Who the hell is this guy?" Like, you know, his clothes, his style, like the way he skated, his attitude, everything was just like far superior to like all the other everything else that was going on. It was, yeah, it was pretty cool to see. Have
0: you still got some some good footage from from that then of him?
1: I wasn't really filming that much. So, was, befo- was that a bit before you really started? Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't really have cameras. Access to cameras up at that point, um, right. No one I remember did that much. That's why when my friend showed me the footage just now, like the footage he sent me, Curtis wasn't even skating. He was just in the background, and that was exciting enough. <laughs> you know, right. it, it was literally just like fifty people on the street course, and the cameras just chasing whoever was going on. And you know, I was just trying to like in the blur of it all catch a glimpse of who was who and what was going on. But yeah yeah wish right wish so... there was some K- K- foot- if there was some Curtis footage on there I would have probably posted it by now and be like oh my goodness look at this gold
0: that's why I asked really because you just don't see it do you because you know on again on your sound and vision thing which I watched today the like there's Penny stuff there's Rowley isn't there like when they're super young you know there's
1: that's that's I would say that was probably right around the time that Curtis had already just gone under the radar and just started doing his own thing a few years
0: later maybe like yeah yeah so yeah he's he's, he's perfectly in that point isn't he where you know, there's there's the there's the magazine stuff. There's the kind of funky sequences that they used to run in rad, like you know. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of you know the missing. Try to think of a music comparison. You know, it's like it's like Stu Sutcliffe on bass, isn't it? It's like there's no footage.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's a perfect cocktail for legend and folklore, but it's all real. It's all true. I was yeah. there. Yeah, I yeah. Promise. It's it's not hype. You know. Um, yeah. So when you.
0: You know, you were on PAL and then you start do you start getting hooked up. You said you had a shop sponsorship and then, you know, you've mentioned Santa Cruz, you mentioned PAL. So things start to, you know, progress for you as a skateboarder at this point?
1: Yeah, the early nineties were great for me. Um I was, you know, skating as much as I possibly could and uh you know, got to travel a lot, got on some amazing teams, got to skate with new people and yeah, it was a uh, pretty epic. Decade. <laughs> not that hasn't been. Not that hasn't been since. But for skateboarding and you know, get, um, as a little kid, getting to you know, fulfil your dreams. It was absolutely mind blowing. Yeah.
0: And are you? Are you, you know, because I've mentioned to you the Rad interview that you did, which I get what must be like ninety one, ninety two.
1: It was like a rare blue sky cover. I remember that. I remember it being a lot of blue. And you, but I remember
0: you were talking a lot about music. You know, you were talking a lot about
1: yeah, yeah, that yeah, they had all these. Um, Tim did all these rad, um, quotes from songs. Was it that one where he pulled yeah. quotes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you
0: had because uh, I that and that that is like massively formative for I think because it's like I say, a few people. It's definitely formative for me that it's the first time I listened to Valve Underground and Nico after reading that <laughs> interview, and yeah, um, man, and like you know, like there's. I think it was interesting because. You know, it was it was definitely for people that read it a bit of a mind opener, you know, like, because that was the great thing about... Well, just in, insofar as like the cultural reference points at the time, you know, were, were, were good for kids to hear, I think. So was music like a huge part of your upbringing is that you know were you was that something that was as important as the skateboarding
1: yeah i I never played music but i love music you know um just as much as anybody i guess but i think um part of it was my parents had a pretty rad record collection going on and uh so everywhere we went there was and there was always a soundtrack to everything i remember my dad would have like eight track cartridge recorder in the car and um so we'd, we'd always have music on and it was, you know, it was always like pretty cool stuff. Rolling Stones, Beatles and, you know, Santana and, you know, just like, and you can see it in my videos. I've used Santana how many times? Um, An old, old Eng- English game. It's
0: still a big theme, isn't it? You know, obviously like the recent stuff you've done, obviously you paint, you're taking as much care of the music, obviously, um, but even more so, you know, try to make it as creative as the, as the filmmaking maybe, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just another opportunity to have fun with it you know there's uh, so many layers to making videos especially skate videos you can put a lot of inject a lot of weird stuff in there if you want or you know have a lot of fun with music and stuff like that so it's just, it's just another part of the creativity that's fun to enjoy yeah definitely uh, i wish i could have played music over the years but i know this is an audio recording but if you could see these fingers there's no way these Buckled, buckled hands are gonna do anything musical.
0: <laughs> that, that middle finger's seen a bit of work, definitely. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, it's uh should be should be straighter and not quite as fat in the middle. They look like twiglets inflated. But,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, like it was the whole package there because it's a big theme for people I interview on this show. Like you know when they discover these worlds when they're kids, you know it's like yeah, it's yeah skateboarding yeah. or it might be surfing or it might be snowboarding you know there's this whole culture that comes with it there's the music there's the you know there's the kind of code the cultural codes that come with it which which is so formative aren't they
1: yeah that's what makes skateboarding so interesting it's not you know i don't, I don't know how much you know if you're into basketball or you know cricket or whoever whatever sport it is do you, how much about the your favorite athlete or whatever's personal life or what they're into you know they you just kind of know about their sport and their stats and things like that i feel for the most part and whereas skateboarding if you like a skater you like you know you're intrigued by the graphics they use in their board that told you something about them the music they use in their video part like you said when you read their interviews they were you know just opening up peeling back the layers of the onion just you, you want to know more about this person and um it all built towards like who, th- who they were as a character, their attitude. And that was a lot was what was conveyed through their skateboarding. And I think that's why skateboarding is, you know, it's something that can't be measured statistically. It's so expressive and subjective that it touches people on all these different levels. That, you know, it's uh, culturally enriching. If I can say that rightly, my mouth's dry right now, but um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much to chew on, you know, there's, there's so much juice, juice to get into. And obviously some, junk and gossip goes along with all that but the fact that people are led and have interesting stuff going on is i think part of what makes skateboarding cooler i guess you know i mean my favorite skateboarders always seem to have a, a little bit more than just tricks happening you know they're always kind of intriguing people as well so
0: well it's like threads you can follow isn't there especially when you when you start out when you're young like you say you can you can Get into a skater, you can watch the video part, you can see the song, you can, you know, and you can start yeah. to sort of find your own path, can't you? And you can start to develop your own interests, which is obviously. And
1: going back to, I think, what we mentioned earlier was that you didn't get an abundance of information. There wasn't, there was only a few videos, there was only a certain amount of magazines, and, you know, you were trying to make the most of what little you could. So you clung on to everything as I think things were a little bit more dear to us, and, you know, you cherished a little bit more any information or any insight and I wonder how it is now for younger kids where they can turn into a complete, uh, what do you call it, um, you know, just a, uh, what's the word, where you troll, so you can just find out anything about someone these days. Like, there's so an abundance of information accessible. You could, be oh, a stalker, that's what I meant to say. You could end up being a, a stalker <laughs> if, you, if you really want to find out about some, somebody, you know, um, which is kind of a bit too far, obviously, but, um, yeah, it's just a different landscape now where there's so much information that's kind of interesting, but.
0: Cairo Foster actually sent me a couple of questions and All right. he, Hi, Cairo. he basically, I mean, it's kind of related to this. He, he kind of, well, I'll read the question. Sure. Um. Is there the same opportunities for creativity in this age of constant content? Cause it's kind of what we're talking about, right? You know, like how, how the sort of levels of content, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. Using, I'm using inverted commas on content, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, basically, what we're saying is, like these days, it's it's proliferated so wildly, and yeah. you know, we're talking about how on two levels, really, like the influence of that, you know, broadly, but then also personally. So yeah, it's 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 in the same territory, isn't it? So what do you think about that? Because obviously, you've kind of you've kind of like followed, you know, the arc of your creative career. Obviously, goes from when we're talking about to now. So you know, you were saying earlier, like oh, you know, I feel a bit old, but obviously you've had to kind of evolve, evolve with it, you know, with the creative, creative work that you do. So you must have a pretty unique perspective on that.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's healthier to look at it as more opportunity for cool creativity to come out of the world than um, worrying about, I mean, the, the negative is that you do get overwhelmed and swamped with junk. You have to sort of wade through all that to find the good stuff, but. I'd, I'd prefer that and seeing more access and opportunity for people of any type, of any, from any background, or any place around the world to be able to put stuff out there. You know, you think when we were talking about earlier, how decades ago it was a big t- turning point for me to have access to a camcorder. Now everybody's got a digital device in their pocket for the most part, even some of the more, you know, poorest places around the world. Someone could make an awesome video on a phone blast it out there from some wi-fi network and the world can have access to that and you know could go viral and it could change their life like that never happened before and i know it's like you know one in a zillion at this point because there's so many people spewing out junk out there but you know if you're smart you don't have to sit there and watch all the junk and you know, you just figure out where you find your information I just i just think it's, it's better to look at the positivity of more o- opportunity for creativity even though yeah you get a lot of sludge and the sl- on the slides that come with it you know so yeah um that, that I, I think that's more inspiring you know I see some phenomenal stuff these days that just keep popping up on someone's feed or whatever and it's it does feel a little bit disposable you know some things are just you know they would have been like clever little ideas that some kid put on Instagram or YouTube that came and went and they you know they would have been probably an expensive advertising campaign for someone for 30 years ago, you know, where, yeah. where it was like a production and it was this thing that we remembered, you know, whereas now it's just like, pow, 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 they fire it off, you know? So the temporary nature of it all is a little bit hard to handle, but then I think that's something to do with age and um, just sort of the, the, what do you say? The pace that we we live at, you know, I think younger people have a different frequency they're operating on. So,
0: yeah there's a great there's a great douglas Adams quote about that which is like anything that comes along when you're under twenty is like normal anything that comes along when you're between your twenties and thirties it's like brilliant maybe I can get a job out of it. Anything that comes along after you're thirty it's like this is shit, and the world's you know <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it is kind of true isn't it? It's like you know the way that you the way that you' that you accept technology as you get older it does get yeah. it, it do, it's harder not to be the old fart going like oh you know like your mum when when you're on Zoom, going, oh, isn't this clever? You know, sort of thing.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by everything, you know? I'm so, so easily impressed. Like, I'm just, like, every day that there's a hot water coming out of the shower, I'm like, holy shit, this is fantastic, you know? Like, so the fact that I'm surrounded by computer monitors, little LED lights, and you know, two cameras just to make sure my audio is clicked. I'm like, this is I'm so much technology. I feel like I'm in Darth Vader's bathroom or whatever. You, <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's... It, all this is amazing. Every like the fact that you're in UK and we're just chatting away, and this is you look like you're in the room next door. I'm, I'm not yeah. taking a damn thing for granted. You know. No, is... you you
0: know when you put it like that, yeah. I mean it, it is <laughs> it is pretty incredible, isn't it? Not you to know?
1: sound easily impressed, but it's no, all, it's, no, it's, it's worth all re- pretty
0: cool, right? It's, <laughs> it's worth remembering. It's definitely worth remembering. You know, we've got this bloody thing in our hand with like every bit of information you could ever want. You know, an incredible camera you could create with it
1: if you're 10 years old again and someone told you that you could have a computer the size of your hand that could do what it could do you'd be like "Get that. there's no way you know that you even more
0: if you were 10 years old and someone said look here's this thing that's going to have every skate video that ever existed
1: yeah that just that you know you'd be
0: like (laughs) you'd be like fuck off you like because obviously what you mean i'd have to go borrow one vhs and <laughs> exactly, pass it around yes. to all my mates, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, the
1: phone is smaller than a VHS tape, and yet it has access to a universe of information and, and footage and all that stuff. And yeah, it's got every so. song
0: you ever wanted to hear and every every <laughs> section you ever wanted to see. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there's there's benefits, you know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. So, it's let's trying keep the chronology sort of you know roughly so obviously we talked a little bit about your skate career um and then you know you you did from what i can tell and you know from the outside did the sort of classic you know moved to the states did that thing um and then at some point kept filming obviously by the sounds of it kept exploring filmmaking as well at some point made the transition um did did that as in like from skateboarder to filmmaker really so how long did that take that that kind of that that evolution if you like
1: uh, let's see if i added it up it was um around 98 was when <clears throat> i started really coming out to the states more than staying in the uk it was kind of like this incremental change where i'd come for trips that got longer and longer and started working on visas that got longer and longer and uh that was around the time that filming and skating were pretty parallel you know i had jobs in both which was really weird but um skateboarding didn't pay a damn thing back then as compared to some some kid people do make some all right money now um but back then it was peanuts you just really barely could scrape by so the fact that i could get a little bit of extra money through filming and some editing was huge you know um so that was around 98 i think all that started re- really kicking in i came out and then, um well, say, no, sorry, I'll take that back. Ninety-four, ninety-five was when I started like staying out here more than being in the UK. 98 was when, I'd say, video became more of my job. That's how it works, yeah. Um, that was when I started getting employed by um, Etney's Soul Technology uh, as a video guy, I guess you'd say. But at the same time, I also still rode for them, was still skating professionally, slightly reluctantly, because I was going through that long back back pain and foot problems all these injuries that still linger with me now and that was the transition period where i could see the people that were around me that i was filming were so much better than i was and was ever gonna be i was just you know skating was kind of deteriorating for me already at that point so um i'd kind of opt to try to opt out of being sponsored it kind of got to the point where it's pretty embarrassing you know like being on tours i'd be like i should be filming the demo not (laughs) in the demo you know um so so that was a but it was a very comfortable transition because you know I like I said I skated for Etney's and worked for Etney's video production so it was like a smooth transition where um it, it, you know I, I know for some people when their skate careers come to a stop it leaves them kind of hanging a little bit so I was very thankful that that was quite a natural uh, process for me.
0: Yeah right so it was kind of an easy easy choice really you know you great when you when when you saw when you saw that was happening you were like okay cool I can do that
1: it wasn't even a conscious choice, it just was just like, I was just, everything just kind of like flowed that way, and it was fine with me, and natural, and yeah, so, yeah, I've, I've really not been very good at like, making goals and planning and going for them, things just have happen to work out the right way, and or, or the way I like it, and I go with them, and yeah, it's been a, a absolutely amazing blessing, because... If I tried to plan and go for it, I think it would have never happened, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. The stars just aligned and I was just like, wow, sure, I'll take that opportunity every time, you know? So um, I think maybe that was the the one thing that I contributed was the fact that I didn't say no to a lot of things and just went for it. Um, it was difficult leaving my family and moving to the States and all that stuff. I still, you know, I'm glad now that I can you know, chat with them on FaceTime and things like that very easily. But back then yeah. it, was, it was it was hard, you know, I've got a big family, I miss them. Oh. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so, well, it's a big it's a big yeah. move isn't it you know especially and like you say especially back then because it, it it was further away you know than it is now both literally you felt
1: a, further for sure l- yeah literally like, even a me- just a phone call was expensive
0: literally metaphorically again you know without sounding like two old farts going on about technology the whole time you know you didn't have mobiles no, no. it was phone cards it was all that stuff it was it was a bit more challenging to do that you know so definitely. i, I definitely. can i can understand why it felt like a wrench for sure um, but you know, it's a great time to be at Soltec because a bit of a That oh, was huge. A bit of yeah. a golden era of, you know. But I'm, I'm guessing because you know you worked on some of the classics, right?
1: Yeah, I was really lucky that um, around the time I started working there, we were um, uh, working on Menic Marty with Fred. That was the first big, big project that we did. Um, I mean, it's not a bad. It's not a bad one to kick off with, really. No, it was great. Yeah, but fantastic. And there was, um, well, I mean, before then, I'd done the sheep video with Soul Technology and some other small projects, but uh, this was like th- one of the first really full-on skate videos that, I, you know, not that other people had done, but like it was, it was a big deal at the time. You know, like there was a full budget, there was a lot of travel, there was like, you know, it was, it was really coordinated. Um, a lot of that was thanks to Fred because. Yeah, he actually went to uh, film school and had like a little bit of structural background of how this things worked, you know. Um, so that worked out great because uh, he, he actually started the project before I moved out there. I was like lagging on visas and all that kind of stuff. And so when I got out there, that was already underway. And so I just jumped in and helped him out on that. And uh, yeah, after that, they produced a bunch of, um, you know pretty star studded videos for the skateboarding goes, so I was really grateful to be a part of those for sure. The America projects so this is skateboarding and stay gold and all that good stuff. So yeah.
0: And um, you know, we was do you remember as a time of basically constant learning.
1: Oh yeah. Still. I mean, from then till now it's just everything's just constantly learning. <clears throat> but then especially because um, you know, suddenly I had access to all these computers, there's all this new software to figure out like cameras were evolving, lenses were new, you know, like r- right when I was filming for Manic Marty was like getting used to the death lens and things like that, you know, like that was a kind of a becoming a standard at the time. And um, yeah, just, it was a lot of change. Skateboarding was evolving fast. So um, there's a lot to keep up on, a lot of excitement going on. <clears throat> a lot of, uh, you know, new epic skaters coming out of the woodwork. Arto Sari, you know, I remember seeing him for the first time in some Euro contest and just being like, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a few times when you see skaters over the years where the the first time you have their you kind of get, get, get that uh, glory of how epic they are and your hair stands up in your neck and you're just like, oh, there's another one you know yeah. this this is dude we're gonna know this dude for years to come, you know like. There's there's no way he's gonna disappear. Like you better <laughs> not, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just they just stand out so much, and you're like, oh, it's 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 pretty exciting to be able to see that kind of stuff over the years for sure.
0: Yeah, right. Well, I guess yeah. When you put it that way, you've had a bit of a ringside seat, right? With um, with,
1: with totally. Sort of... That's what that's what the camera camera guy does is just sit by and yeah. watch the, the cool stuff go down. Um, rarely through your own eyes, unfortunately. So it was always yeah. through a, a a viewfinder, but that's I'll take it.
0: Well, on that front then, you know, total geek question, but any, anything in particular, it's almost like an impossible question, but if, of all the people that you filmed, anything in particular stand out where you, you know, as a particularly legendary session or something that, you know, you've mentioned Arto, you've mentioned a couple of others, like.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 there's so, I'm so thankful that there's so many I've lost count. Like, I literally, like, there's a wall of hard drives right here next to me. I've got like 60 hard drives, and if I just plucked in any one of them in any era in any project, there'd be a session or something where I'd just, it would blow my mind that I was be a part of it, whether it was something back with Heath Kirchart days, going out on some crazy 4 a.m. night mission with him, or, uh, you know, some, weird Tom Penny times I don't know just there's, there's so many epic epic things like, you know I've lost count on filming I mean um, yeah when people remind me I'm just I'm kind of surprised that I was even there because like I said it's it's kind of a, it doesn't feel real when you're like looking through a camera and then you just everything seems like it's on a screen <laughs> you know like I, it's hard to feel like you were even there sometimes because you just live so much of it through the screened memory rather than that when you're actually there it was so so, so brief and just you know, fleeting that it doesn't quite sink in. What you what you remember more is the footage, unfortunately, which isn't quite the experience. I think you know, the friends that are around high-fiving them around afterwards, they're probably <laughs> the ones who remember all that stuff in a little bit more detail. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I've seen a lot of great. I mean, one that just popped to mind was when, well, speaking of Heath, was when he did that uh, Back 360 at Bob's Mega Ramp, that just everything about that was situation was out of this world and unusual, you know, like. Heath, the last person you'd probably expect, or most people would probably expect, if they didn't know him, would be on the mega ramp. But if you, you know, with the backstory and everything, it, it somehow made perfect sense, and yeah, everything about that was was just nuts, you know. So uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely been some moments. Um. And you've been, you know, you've been with Soltech and Etnes
0: for a long time, which it, I mean, I guess it's quite rare, really, to stay, to stick with one company for for that long
1: yeah no i uh it's, i worked for them for a little over i think around twenty five years or so um I only recently just stopped working for them full time I do freelance stuff for them here in that these days well a few projects actually this year so that's quite nice um and yeah it is weird that I worked for one place for so long but um I think part of the reason why it was easy to do that was because it it was one building but they had several brands. So over the years, I would rotate different projects, different brands. And so it was almost like I worked for a bunch of different companies over the years. Like things always evolved and felt fresh. There would be a different project with a new crew. And then, you know, when it's S, America Retneys. And so that kept, kept it very fresh. And there was always um, something to learn, you know. It, it, I just felt like it was a was really, really beneficial experience throughout. And... <clears throat> They were also very very flexible in that any chance that i had other projects that could come up that you know as long as they weren't any kind of conflicts of interest i wasn't doing like other shoe brands or things like that but if any any other projects came up over the years as long as i had time to do it which i kind of would sometimes bend over backwards to make the time to do it but you know you'd i got to do a lot of different stuff over the years so um it wasn't like i was freelance but i you know i got to have a a pretty broad experience out of the the whole thing so it sounds weird to, when I look back and say I worked for one place for twenty five years, but um, it really felt over the time that it was a lot of different uh, projects and people. So that, that yeah, that kept it fresh and exciting.
0: Because the brands are so distinct as well. So we, I guess, after a while, you must have got to the point where you kind of, you know, knew what idea
1: worked for what brand, right? Well, that was that was what was cool. Was if you whatever idea you came up with, you but like, oh, that's this cool idea which which one should we go for? Who, who does it fit best, you know? So, um, so that was really, really nice. It was almost like working for an agency as opposed to one brand, you know, because you could kind of divvy things up. We, they had uh, 32 snowboard boots out of there too, which uh, is, you know, obviously a whole different vibe to the skate brands. And then, you know, they had Altamont clothing through there. And so there was all these different projects that, you know, you could kind of get involved in. Um, but I tend to, tended to sort of shift from sort of brand to brand and work on sort of like the, the major projects. There was only certain periods where I was like juggling between brands. Um, and, uh, you know, it was also great in that they gave us the opportunity to hire some really good people. So I got to work with, you know, like I said, Fred in the beginning. Um, I got John Miner in there right after I started working in there, and he's kind of started to focus more on the America stuff. Um, and this guy, Dustin Aaron, who people don't know so much of, but he's, he was an epic dude to work with over the years there. And just, you know, we'd collaborate on various, um, people for outside projects. And so, yeah, it was just generally like a really invigorating experience, I guess you'd say. So I'm thankful for everything they, the opportunities they gave me. And, you know, those guys got me my green cards and visas and finally my, uh, citizenship. So there's that. So yeah, it's been a, yeah, it's been just, a, like a lot to lot, thank Pierre for. <laughs> yeah, just just that in itself. I can't believe, you know, it took decades to get get through all that. But um, yeah, no, I've got nothing but thanks for those guys. You know, it's been a, a great ride. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Seems like you and John have always, you know, worked really well together. What do you put that down to?
1: Yeah, I mean, John was a um, guy I met in 94, I think, when I first was doing the ATM click thing. And um, he was really, yeah, just a, had the same sort of thing going on as me. We were really into skating and filming and, uh, he's really good at filming too. He's a great <laughs> editor as well, but you know, he was quite an inspiring guy to be around because, you know, you'd see someone doing sick stuff, you, you know, you want to try and get some of that. And so it was, it was, a uh, yeah. And we just kind of shared a lot of taste in music and, you know, had good crews around us. Like when we, I lived in Santa Rosa or when, it, when we did the ATM thing, a lot of the guys were based in Santa Rosa and, I moved there and we had this whole like small town amazing skate scene where for some reason half the town half the skaters was really good sponsored skaters that um so as filmers you always had amazing talent to to film you know for it was quite a unique situation and uh yeah so I'm, I'm glad that over the years that John got to kind of tag along and jump in on projects and then take over the pretty much the whole America thing for a good few years now and he's just gone from strength to strength and killed it, you know, like it's, it's really awesome to see that kind of stuff because yeah, you know, he was great back in the day. And so just awesome to see it get better.
0: So, you know, you've been in the States, like you said, for over 20 years. Was it, has it been, are, are you used to it now? If that's not a strange question, like living there, is it was, it, was it, was it, was it a difficult, difficult transition? Cause obviously it sounds like the word difficult is like getting, getting the green card and, you know, all this sort of stuff. like. Has
1: yeah, it... there's a lot of hoops to jump through. That side's kind of difficult, especially because I was born in Iran, so you know, that's only gotten worse over the years with all this, you know. You you were security.
0: born in you were born in Iran.
1: Yeah, I was born in Tehran, and I moved to oh, London right. when I was three or four, and so uh, right before my fourth birthday, and so that always comes up as a big red flag on all my uh, uh, U.S. citizen applications, visa applications, and stuff like that.
0: I got. I went to Iran in 2005, and then I oh, went. Wow, to, nice. I went to the states uh, the year later, and I they nearly didn't let me in. Um, yeah, they don't. Just like cause, that. just because of a stamp, and they yeah. were like, "What? What? What?" I was. I got to Boston, got to the airport. They were like, "Why have you got an Iran stamp in your passport?" Um, and I was really naive because I went snowboarding there, and I was like, "Well, I went snowboarding there," and they were like fuck off mate <laughs> so, and, then, and then like yeah then it basically got hauled out you know and, and i was like wow they're not gonna let me in here like o- yeah, over this yeah, yeah. um yeah yeah and like you say i guess if you're actually born there that's uh that's gonna be more more difficult right
1: yeah exactly it's um yeah, you know it's not just a stamp it says it in your passport born in tehran so which yeah, i'm very proud of but they definitely look at it as a red flag so i'm very not surprised that that happened to you and Whatever, it's fine. I just, uh, yeah, you know, moving out here was that, that wasn't the hardest thing. Um, the visa thing is just you got to be ultra patient. The hardest thing was, you know, missing family and friends and that kind of stuff. But I did get to travel back and forth quite frequently in the first you know, first ten years at least. I was always back in Europe like three times a year, so that obviously eased the blow of you didn't miss everyone quite as much, um, and just the fact that I'm a young kid just getting to live my dreams and get to, you know, skate all this cool stuff and meet all these cool people and you know, it was just one epic experience after another. So you just it just sort of went with the momentum of it, I think, you know, you didn't sort of have time to stop and worry about it. So
0: Yeah. And what about some of the recent projects that you've been doing? Like what are you, you they've seemed to have been getting, you know, really involved. Like if you like what I mentioned earlier, um the soundtrack stuff you did for album, you know, like, and actually have having that hand in hand with the, with the filming. Is that, is that kind of create like very full on creative challenge, something that you seek out with these projects?
1: <laughs> do you mean, uh, do I like to bite off more than I can chew? Yeah. If um, you like. <laughs> <laughs> do I like to get into areas I have no business being. Um, yeah, I love it. No, um, uh, well, you know, I think it's like I was saying before how um, what's interesting about video production is how many layers of creativity you can bring into it, especially through skateboarding stuff. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I just I just it's just more fun to have with it, I guess you'd say. Part of it was also um, a little bit through this, ne- not necessity, but if anyone knows anything about video production these days or just putting out any kind of stuff like that um, to the public. Uh, then they'll know that music licensing is an absolute nightmare um, for the most part. To get tracks that you really want, typically is way too expensive, or um, you know you can only license it for certain regions. Certain there's so many complications to it. It's um, you know we don't want to spend all the time talking about that, but just know that that was a huge reason. I, basically, I would I've, in my philosophy for the album project was. I would rather the money, the budget that we did have not go to some um, publisher who doesn't have any soul for music, doesn't care about the project, doesn't care about any of this stuff, they're just there to milk the money. Because I've had times where we've had the artist, the label, all back in the budget and the project, and then you've got a publisher who just wants a bunch of money, and they don't care. And even though the artist is emailing on our behalf like, no, I'm down for the project, I think it's cool, I'm fine with the budget, you know. So I'd just, I just rather work with people who are um, just as excited to be in the video as we are to have them in the video. Uh, so first I was going to work with bands that were, you know, skaters' bands already. And then um, because a good friend of mine, Noel Paris, has this studio that we have access to, um, uh, we basically sort of evolved the idea into like, well, how about we sort of make it this full circle of giving back to skateboarding and getting musicians who were skaters or, you know, maybe some of them were famous skaters or some of them, you know, not even so famous skaters, but just skateboarders who have gone on to do good things in music, have them collaborate and try and come up with something unique and do the whole scoring to the footage and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, we kind of got carried away with it. And I think probably like halfway through the process of making the tracks, we were just like, damn, this is you know, really, really involved and time consuming. But, um, what was cool was everybody who did get involved really like did it from the heart. And, you know, there was, like I said, there was some budget for them, but once you spread it thin and paying everybody a little bit to come and play just a guitar on a track or something, it doesn't go that far. You know, it's, they're definitely doing it for the love, but, um, you know, musical legends to me, like Mike, Watt, who like really was like understood why it was important to care about the project. Like he, he gets skating as a, fan base for his music and knows how important it is to give back to it you know and yeah just stuff like that um it was uh yeah it's, it's it's just made made the project that much more enriching to be a part of and yeah but yeah we definitely went out on a limb i don't know if everyone liked the sound <laughs> job. i'll i'll just have to add that to the end i know it wasn't everyone's <laughs> cup of tea um but uh yeah there's there's definitely um but then you can't please everyone can you just, i was just definitely trying to do something different and uh some creativity but you know whether it yeah, works exactly or not, that's, a, that's a whole nother subject <laughs> yeah exactly i mean
0: ultimately like who cares you know that's the way you got to look at it, isn't it? like because i mean yeah what i mean is like who cares whether you can't go into it and it stands for any kind of creative projects not it worrying exactly. about w- worrying about the potential what the potential audience might or might not think of it you have to just do what you want to do and do it honestly and then you know people usually respect that i think don't they
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean the the people that were involved in it all seemed to like it, so that was why I based it off of. Like you know the, every, you know everyone who was doing it was equally hyped on it. It wasn't just me going on a tangent and coming up with some tunes and Garage Band. You know there was a there was a collaborative <laughs> effort, and a, yeah, it's one of those things where um you know you know you're not going to please everyone, so you just kind of have to trust your gut and go with something that you feel works. And hey, if you fail some things, you tried. You know like what are you going to do?
0: Did you brief them then, the musicians? Like did you or or was it like, here's the footage, do what you
1: want? No, I was in the studio the pretty much the entire time and we would have rough cuts of their part and we would have it playing on a monitor and sometimes we'd have more than one musician and they'd kind of play as a, a jam, but typically it would be musicians layering upon layering. And um Noel the guy whose studio it was, he's a fantastic drummer and uh you know, we had some sort of core musicians who would be there more frequently and then guest musicians would come in and work on tracks. So certain people worked on pretty much the entire soundtrack except for a couple of songs. And then other people came in on, you know, just two or three songs here and there. And, um, so I tried to let them kind of just feel it out and give me what they would give me. But I definitely did direct a lot just to kind of let them know why things were a certain way. Quite often I would edit the, the parts to a track that kind of, or even multiple tracks that kind of set the tone and the pace for it. So it had a certain rhythm and timing to it. It wasn't just a bunch of footage just thrown in there. Right. Um, So we'd literally start with like, this is the tempo, you know, this is a beat. And then layer from that and then go back and revise the drums, you know. So it was really weird way of making music, I think, even for them. Like a lot of them had a little hard time getting their heads around it. some people worked fantastically with that process, but other people, it was definitely a little bit uh, different for them. Sure. Um, So it might not have brought the best out of them, unfortunately, but it was, you know, just kind of how we had to do it at the time. So.
0: Yeah. But um, those restrictions probably what made it what it is as well. You know, it's another part of it, isn't it? Like how. A little bit. Yeah. how, How, how those things, you know, this unique set of circumstances, like what they lead to.
1: Yeah. And, uh, It was nice to get some special people in there for you know like uh, just things that meant stuff to us. Like uh, on Trevor McClung's part, his dad's a really good guitarist, and very reluctantly, his dad didn't want to do it, but we got him to like play one of the uh, acoustic tracks on his part. And oh right, it was yeah, just like things like that where like not everyone's gonna know all this stuff. We really put certain. There was a lot of like thought went into everybody's every second of it, you know. So. Not again. Not sure how much of that translates. You know, I know everyone just wants to hear a banging tune, but um, and maybe we tried to get too uh, highbrow with it on some of it. But um, yeah, it is what it is. Um, yeah, we, we did uh, grab a couple of tracks from one one band, Zulux, Is a friend of mine in LA that you know good skaters who kill it and uh, make amazing music. So one of their tracks that was for um, Doogie's part, and then uh, Nick Garcia had a track that Atiba made with his band. So there's a couple of tracks that existed already. And uh, Jamie Tan County, for his part, those guys just, that was one track I had nothing to do with. I just came in after they just jammed and recorded this. And they were like, what do you think? And I was like, great, polish it up. And that's a, that's a, that's a part, you know? So um, it wasn't all me leaning over their shoulder, but um, a lot of it was. And so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Was... Um, well, we should talk about the videos as well. Because you, you know, you did you did a fucking dinosaur junior video <laughs> which is yeah. which is epic i mean you know again again you, you like mike what jay Maskis sort of tick ticking them off ticking off the legends
1: well that's actually how i got to know mike was through that dinosaur junior video Ah, was, right. um, they were on tour um, the way that video was shot was um we jumped in on a tour and were there from, I think, like Monday to Friday while they're going around like Northern Florida. Um, uh, and the, the tour was specifically going to really small venues in small towns. That was kind of, I mean, I know Dinosaur Jr. doesn't do giant arenas, but they were going to tiny like bars and like really small venues. It was kind of a cool tour. And uh, Mike Watt and Minutemen were along with it for the ride. Uh, you know, they were touring as well. And, um, we actually had Mike cameo for a couple of shots in like this behind this uh what do you call it backstage scene in the video he's like just sitting there chilling while things are going on and then also when uh there's a shot where jay mascus does the daffy duck you know little skate trick i think with this a truck sitting there and mike Watts just chilling there so he was just like a cameo friend and um friend of the band and so it was nice that when having that as a reference point to when i got introduced to him through uh the musicians that were working on the soundtrack it was like oh you again i remember you so <laughs> it made it very it made, it made it very easy to you know get him involved and yeah like i said he he totally understands uh, the the impact of his music on skating and vice versa and he was so down for it you know he, he gets it completely which was awesome so
0: yeah that's rad so what um what what creative ambitions have you got left with all this. I mean, you know, you've kind of said like, oh, you know, I just sort of follow the opportunities and see where it leads. But you know, as you've just outlined with the process you described about album, like there's a lot of forethought and love and detail going into this stuff. Um so do you have any, you know, ambitions that you've yet to fulfil? I don't I don't even just mean with skateboarding really, you know, anything that you any any projects that you can tick off during lockdown?
1: I mean, uh, t- yeah, take t- off during lockdown. Lockdown is just all about tidying my house. My office is a mess. Sorting them hard house. drives out. <laughs> At some point, that too, but just more like, yeah, my house needs to definite tidy up. I've been so focused on work for decades now that house projects get started but never get finished. So there's a lot of that to do right now. Um, but as far as creative projects and video projects, I mean, uh the last few months right before lockdown were fantastic in that i you know having started to do freelance for more of a variety of uh clients i guess you'd say and you know different styles of projects i've been just really enjoying um sort of a a rebirth of learning i guess you'd say you know like when you do the same thing for a long time it's very easy to kind of get stuck in a groove and lean to what you know um and uh Yeah, just getting to work with other creative people has been like just a really refreshing, exciting change for me. So, I'm hoping this whole lockdown thing doesn't carry on too much longer, and uh, um, hopefully this lockdown doesn't last too much longer because I'm definitely um, keen to get out there and just kind of just just doing different projects. You know, Um, I'm not snobby. I don't. I try not to be snobby, at least. Um, And you know, uh, I'm not like, oh, I want to own every project because in skateboarding you tend to be sort of a one-man or two-man show and like you were just describing with album you're involved in so many levels of the project in detail and micromanaging stuff that i probably should have pulled back a little bit from and but was you know it's great to learn from but now when you're working freelance you tend to be sort of like one cog in a machine you know as you know for the most part outside of skateboarding anyway and i'm i'm really enjoying that aspect is It's quite different to have a lot of experts in their own field around to learn from you know like whether it's lighting guys or audio guys or just you know other cameramen or just different editors and just seeing how people do things um up close and uh you know just being able to learn from that and hopefully grow from that and just you know see where that takes me i guess you'd say you know so um yeah i think i think at this point in my life it's time to just do, you know just try and be as flexible and uh, open to opportunity as possible because I don't know skateboarding has been really good to me for decades and you know again like I said it's still supporting me in a lot of ways but I don't I never expected it from the beginning middle or throughout and I'm still blown away that I'm even talking to you about skateboarding now like that anyone cares what I have to say about it so the fact that I'm I'm thankful to have got this much of a ride has been uh yeah, you know, mind-blowing, I always say I'm one day going to wake up and have to get a real job. So I'm kind of trying to be prepared for that, but also try and make it um, as creative and fun as possible, you know, because, yeah, Sk- skating's um, been, you know, this amazing base for, for my life. Everything's been based around it so far, and I don't think that's going to go away, but it's also really fun to bring other things, and, you know, if I can contribute that to skating, that's cool, or just learn from it, that's that's cool in itself, so.
0: Yeah. I think you might have got away with the proper job thing. I think you're safe. <laughs> I think at this point, you probably... It, it
1: doesn't feel like a proper job. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, it's you know what just... I mean,
0: though? Like, Because I'm the same. I'm like, whenever anyone asks me what I do, I always say I'll piss around for a living. Um, but yeah, like, I, uh, you that, know... Like,
1: that's, uh, and that's the attitude that keeps it from feeling like a proper job, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I reckon, yeah, I reckon
0: I reckon. you got away with it. Hey, man, that was, that was amazing. Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. So there you go. That was me and Mike Manzori. I think I embarrassed him a bit with the stuff about how formative his rad interview was early on. But, you know, I don't really care because it was. And if there's one thing I reserve the right to do in these interviews, it's give credit to the people who've had such an influence over the years. And that interview was massive for me and a lot of other people. I actually think it's really sweet when the people involved, you know, like Tim Layton Boyce and, and Mike in this case, are actually amazed at the reach it has. And it just goes to show how important this stuff is, no matter what you're making and no matter who you think's listening or reading or whatever, because people are, and, th- and it means a lot. And, you know, that's why the media that we're all engaged in is so important. So that's why I want to back it. That's why I want to big it up. So that's why I did. So I hope it didn't embarrass you too much, Mike. But, you know, I think the fact that he reacted like that just goes to show what a modest positive generous and generally lovely character he is i mean he even sent me an email afterwards apologizing for treating it too much like a normal interview rather than a podcast conversation which i've got to say is a first in the 120 odd interviews i've conducted for this show i'm going to put mike at one end of the scale and alex nost at the other end of the scale when it comes to the graciousness displayed therein so thanks for doing it mike And thanks so much for the kind words about the episodes you've listened to as well. I was genuinely tickled by that. Now, I should also say, I'm very, very lucky in doing this podcast because I get a lot of support from all corners. Now, obviously, there's the listeners who get in touch to support the show, which I hugely appreciate. But then I'm also lucky to get really selfless, amazing support from people in the industry, you know, friends old and new, people I don't really know as well. You know, take this episode, Don Brown, who I do know, but... You know, he did the intros, Don, with me and Mike, which is a massive help. And then putting it together, I've been so lucky to have the guys at Read and Destroy and legendary photographer, Wig Wallen, sort me out with pictures for this episode, which you can see over at my We Look Sideways Instagram. And you can also see it over at www.wearelookingsideways.com on the show notes. Wig in particular, I need to thank because he's a busy man and he went out of his way to help me here. Don't worry. I did ask him to come on the show again got to be about the 10th time now and we agreed that it'll happen at some point soon i mean at the minute he's really busy working on the amazing mkscape project which i very much recommend you go and check out over at mkscape.org so what else is going on well i've been busy basically one of my friends once said to me you'd make a to-do list in a cave you and they appear to be right but i am enjoying it It means I've been ticking off a lot of things on the to-do list, including drumroll. Next week's episode, which is my long-awaited interview with the great Terry A. Harkinson, long-awaited, not least by me. Yet we finally got it done, even if it did turn into an absolute mission involving multiple Zoom and WhatsApp calls, lost files, and loads of other tedious podcast-related misadventures. But we got there in the end, and I'm very happy with it. It's great catching up with Terry eh? Um, And this is the important bit. I'm going to release the audio version on my YouTube channel first. Yeah, so I've been busy sorting out the YouTube channel over the last few weeks. I've mentioned it a few times. I'm going to put the Terry episode live on YouTube first in a shameless bid to drive a few subscriptions. I'm going to be honest about that. And then after that, don't know how long I'll leave it up there first. It'll be released on all the usual audio channels as normal. You know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and whatever those little weird ones that some people seem to like using. Yeah, smart. eh? So if you want more info on the YouTube channel, I'm going to be honest at the minute, it's got the audio episodes on there. And I'm also putting the type two live shows that I've been doing on Instagram on there. You need to head if you want to find out more to my We Look Sideways account at Instagram because that's where I'm going to be putting the links and all that fiendish stuff, eh? Proper traffic driving stuff, this. Anyway, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Mike. As usual, if you did, please consider sharing it, leaving me a review, buying some merch to support the show, signing up to the newsletter, all that stuff. You can find, you can do all of that over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. And I'll be back next week with Terry Harkinson. Nice one.